0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of Locked On Suns, probably Locked On Podcast Network. Today's your host, Evan Sutter, and my co host, Burning Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at East Satterton. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at Burning Clean14. This for our Locked On Sensor page. You had already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated, as always. We're doing a really special week for you guys here on the podcast. Talk about our favorite moments, and especially on today's podcast, too. The favorite moments we see in Suns history. And we brought on Dave King. The editor, Bright Side of Brightside, the Sun, to help us dissect it all. Dave, I knew to that.
1: Hey, great! Thanks for having me on,
0: guys. Yeah, no worries. Nice Thanks for coming on, Dave. We're going to talk about three different uh, important events in Suns history today. We're going to kick things off with our first one, talking through I think one of the more underrated moments in Suns history. And also, if you know just from a general NBA fan standpoint, Tom Chambers was the first NBA free agent to go somewhere else. He from Seattle to Phoenix. And Dave, what was that like just back then? Tom Chambers going from the SuperSonics to the Suns, and right away him and head coach Paul Westfall like really have a good synergy and his role in Phoenix just, just blossoms right away.
1: You know, what's funny is I actually still remember reading the article in the Arizona Republic um, of the sun signing him over the summer and, and the mention that he was the first NBA free agent ever. And I I just, I was, uh, gosh, 18, 19, 20, I mm-hmm. that, that was 87. So Uh, That was a long time ago and I wasn't that big of a Suns fan until um, I got out of college in the early 90s. I mean, I was a big Suns fan in high school and then I went to college. Not a fan of really anything except college stuff in college. And then I came back and I I really got back into the Suns. But I still remember reading the article of Tom Chambers being signed. It wasn't even, from my recollection, it wasn't even page one at the time. It was like (laughs) page two inside of page two. And <clears throat> i'm just like great uh, a good player you know the suns were kind of bad at that time if you guys remember what well, you guys don't because you weren't barely alive if you were alive at all
2: um, our, listeners will. our listeners will remember
1: <laughs> some of them will <laughs> um <clears throat> the suns obviously they had the whole drug scandal and that made everything bad and people stopped paying attention for a little while because it was just bad news after bad news um they had acquired, they had made a couple of the trades in the in the prior year to clean out the roster. But that all, see, that was before social media days. And that was before um, dozens of outlets There were only newspapers, really, basically back then, and then three or four of them. Um, and so the, the, the all this drug scandal stuff didn't get a lot of local coverage. Uh, but we all knew it was bad, and we knew the Suns were not that great um, to follow. And then all of a sudden, They started playing a little bit better when they purged the team and they had Kevin Johnson. He looked pretty good. And then Tom Chambers signs. And it's like, Hey, there might be something going on here. And you could just tell that that was the turn of the franchise. It was really, it was, it was really interesting and fun time.
2: Just to go through some of the details on it, because as Evan said, you know, this is a Suns moment. One of the reasons we wanted to hit on it is because we spent a lot of time on 92, 93 and, The seven seconds or less teams over the past few weeks but we haven't we haven't touched on some of the lesser known stuff and this is also a big NBA touch point like it's it's something that really in in a lot of ways changed the league and Chambers in a lot of interviews has gone through and basically said like if it wasn't me it would have been somebody else this is not some thing I I, I, you know manifested out of thin air here but it is noteworthy Uh, I think especially that the first unrestricted free agent chose the Suns. I mean, I think that's why it's so special here. Um, it, it was basically to go through the rules for people. Uh, previously, teams could or players could change teams like any sport, but it was more of what similar to the NFL has now, where teams will get draft compensation for for departures, and so uh, that was sort of the the rule. And this this new thing basically allowed. A guy like Chambers, if you've been in the league at least seven seasons and that you had to have also played through two full NBA contracts, then you could basically make your yeah, yeah, make your choice of teams. So uh, that's interesting. I guess I just had never considered. I, I think of the draft compensation thing as being so unique to football, but that's sort of how every sport operated until they. And football has unrestricted free agency too, and and they don't always teams don't always get picks in return. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's special to think that Chambers uh, saw something in this Suns team because this was not a team that was like you just said, Dave. They were not uh, not really that successful for a while. So, and what's funny is you go back and look, and one of the quotes that I found from him about why he why he made the jump is that. He wanted to play with Kevin Johnson, who didn't come to the team until a year later. So a little bit of fuzzy memory on the part of Chambers there. But uh, yeah, I guess one of the other teams he had considered is Cleveland, which is obviously the team that KJ comes from. Um, I guess just Dave, as a Suns fan from all the way back then, and it was something we noticed, Evan, when we went through the 92-93 stuff, Chambers was an incredible player, and by the time they were in the finals that year, he was sort of past his peak. But he comes to Phoenix and makes three straight All Star teams. He was a, a very, very good scorer in his time.
1: Yeah, he's definitely a really good scorer. And what's really interesting is um, when I when we when Fox Fox Sports Arizona um played the 1990 um, game five between the Suns and the Lakers in the playoffs. Um, and, uh, uh, the Suns beat the Lakers to, to clinch that series in the playoffs, beat magic Johnson and, and, uh, Byron Scott and James worthy and, and, um, Michael Cooper, uh, were the big players on that team. Kareem had just recently retired, but they were still good. They were still considered very good. Yeah. uh, The Lakers back then, although that was the beginning of their slide, um, but the Suns came in, and what what's, a, what's funny to me is not that their offense was incredible, because it was so fun to watch, and Tom Chambers is so, such a great offensive player. But the Suns actually had, um, during Tom Chambers' runs with the Suns, you know what their defensive uh, ratings were, ranks in the league? Um, fifth Ooh. out of 25. No, they were great. Sixth oh. out of 27 huh. um, after an expansion. Eighth. You know, and the the year that they played the Lakers in the playoffs, those are the three Tom Chambers All-Star years. They were fifth, sixth, and eighth in the three Tom Chambers All-Star years Hmm. before Barkley came in and uh, rewrote the way the team was playing and basically took took Chambers' main spot. I think Chambers came off the bench after Barkley got there. Um, I mean, they were actually pretty good, and in that 1990 game, uh, they credited chambers for shutting down james worthy <laughs> in that in that playoff huh. game so uh chambers was a really good overall player um he uh he just wanted to make some money and and go to a fun team uh that is really interesting that he said he uh i want to i want No, look I got it wrong. Again. Yeah, I was going to say he I, I was going to let you Kevin in there. Jones. They got
2: it was the same summer they both yeah, uh, No, no. Johnson comes 80. Johnson came in in February yep, of the yep. year and yep. played
1: half a season uh, with the Suns the year before that, um, a- a- after having been a rookie with Cleveland. So they, uh Suns traded Larry Nance, cleared out most of the team in-, in a series of trades all around the trade deadline after that drug scandal broke. And uh, um, I don't remember Larry Nance being implicated in that, but it was a chance to restart the entire team and he was the biggest piece. They got Kevin Johnson back. Kevin Johnson played about six weeks, maybe eight weeks, you know, post-trade deadline yes. um, for the Suns in the spring. And he Tyrone was like a Corbin 2010 player. Too. Tyrone Corbin. And I believe Mark West was in that trade. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, that basically
2: formed. Three, a lot three of rotation team. players. That's pretty solid. Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: but so, yeah. So Kevin Johnson had played with the Suns for about six, eight weeks. And basically was a 2010 player as a 21-year-old rookie. And so that is, that is kind of, uh, and you could see that um, he had a really great future. And in that 1990 playoff game, he was unstoppable uh, watching that on Fox Sports Arizona last week. So Chambers, anyway, Chambers was excellent for the Suns. He he saw an opportunity where he would be able to uh, be the big time scorer on the team again. And he definitely was. He was their leading scorer, three straight all-star games, all that. Um, Eddie Johnson, interestingly, came off the bench and scored 20 points off the bench, even taking threes <laughs> back then. No, um,
0: so no surprise,
1: yeah, you know, he didn't take a ton of them, <laughs> but the league didn't take a ton of them back then. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was, it was a fun time.
0: We're going to go on here into our next and talk about the shot heard around the world. Gar heard. There was a brawl in this game too. If you remember, there's a lot of interesting stuff to go over from the shot heard around the world before we do so though, I want to remind you guys, you haven't already described to locked on sons. We're still with you guys three days per week throughout this coronavirus lack of sports time. I know we just had the NFL draft. So we're going to be with you guys throughout this lack of sports time. And hopefully we get the NBA back here soon. But whatever stream platform, listen to us on whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to us on. Locked On Suns is on there. So make sure to rate and review us if you enjoy what you're hearing. And we'll be back to you guys in just a minute.
2: Just one minute to tell you guys about Postmates, which is the sponsor of today's show. Just today at lunch, my fiance and I went to Mesa here locally and ordered pho. I don't know if you guys have had it. Vietnamese type of soup with meat and noodles and a whole bunch of little uh, condiments and Sauces and stuff, you mix it up all your own way. Just one of the things that you can order with Postmates. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. Right now, that's even more, as I've been telling you guys, important because we got to support the local businesses, we got to help people who need it right now. Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers or sushi or pho either they actively and actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and even whatever you can think of delivery too whether it's convenience stores clothing stores or anything else postmates delivers it might even be more important here as we go forward and stores start to open back up and everything else. Maybe you're not ready to leave the house, but you want to make a few shopping runs. Have Postmates do it for you. No more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs, and you don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android. Find your favorite local places stores restaurants anything and get whatever you want delivered within the hour for a limited time postmates is giving our locked on sons listeners 100 dollars of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free deliveries download the app and use the promo code locked on nba again that's promo code locked on nba for 100 dollars of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the postmates app again all one word locked on nba anything you need anytime you need it Post made it.
0: All righty. Let's talk about the shot her around the world. And Brent, I'll give you the the floor here to introduce to the audience and about this really I, I remember it from back in the day, but when you go back into the details a little further, it's a it's a wild event.
2: It definitely is. Uh yeah. I'm I guess none of us are probably quite qualified to to lay the groundwork here. This is uh, about as far back as as NBA history can go. Um, as far as the mm-hmm. the finals happening and and all of that, and uh, what I, I guess the things that stood out to me revisiting it because like I had seen the footage, I know anyone who's been in the NBA or in the Suns media room, uh, it's it's commemorated there because it was one of the things that sort of lifted Al McCoy to to fame was was calling this game and this shot specifically. But what really stood out, and this was uh, part of what we did with. The titleless week or a couple of weeks at SB Nation, but this team was 42 and 40, and I think that goes under the radar. It's also uh, Alvin Adams is an all-star as a rookie. That's all, mm-hmm. also part of this season. And then, as as you said, Evan, uh, I think something that gets forgotten a lot here and that can be found it's it's in a, a YouTube video. It's, it's right there, but uh, doesn't get talked about here. Is is John? Havlicek makes a pretty impressive shot on, and he's playing injured for the Celtics and then there's time put back on the clock with the, the botched timeout situation and, and all that and then uh, literal brawl takes place and then uh, and then Garhard's shot goes in to put the game into triple overtime. Uh, just a crazy sequence of events. I feel like the shot is one thing, but you go back and you watch this footage, Dave, and it's like there's 16 different things you could notice a new a new wrinkle here every time. I know a lot of people refer to this game as one of the best in NBA history. I don't think uh, I don't think that's too far off.
1: It was it was definitely incredible. Um, I tell you what, I was not around <clears throat> uh, when this game happened. I mean, I was alive, but I wasn't around as a Suns fan. So I've only watched in in replays as well, and I have watched that whole game, and you know the NBA looks a lot different way back then. No three point line, a lot different. No anything. Um, yeah, yeah. And and that year, Paul Westfall, who actually incidentally came from the Celtics, he had played with for the Celtics before coming to the Suns, and they played against them in the uh, in the playoffs through in the finals. There, um, yep. Garherd obviously was a was a good contributor. He was kind of the the big man um alvin adams was the smooth silky big man but gar Hurd was the bruiser guy he almost got a double double average himself um and even curtis perry was a good player for them too i mean these are names dick van arsdale so dick van arsdale you guys have seen him walking around the the van arsdale brothers walking around the stadium still to this day alvin adams works with the sun still to this day yeah. paul westfall i believe still lives in the valley uh, but he's really close with the organization still to this day. It's just amazing. John Shumate worked for the organization until recently. He was on the team. Uh, Pat Riley, did you guys know Pat Riley was even on that team? No.
2: Pat I did because I just went back and looked because of the, the title <laughs> list stuff. But no, I had no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, nobody did. <laughs> John Wetzel, who was a future coach of the Suns, was actually on that team too. Pat Riley played 80, played 60 games for the Suns that year unbelievable no average five points a game and i had no clue i don't think his yeah. hair was slick back back then though either
2: it's crazy um, to look like every single <laughs> member every single i guess like legitimate core part of this team it feels like uh is also in the ring of honor like yeah. westfall <laughs> adams van arsdale and uh john mcleod who coached the team or mcleod how do you say it mcleod mcleod, McLeod. he yeah. uh is also the I always got McCloud right
1: because his hair was puffy and curly, you know, back in the year that was popular, and so McCloud yeah. like a cloud, yes.
2: And so, like, yeah, this team. I mean, it, it only went forty-two and forty, but obviously, with the way that their their season ended up, beating yeah. you know, Sonics and Warriors and long series, they had a really good second half
1: from yeah. my recollection. Uh, they had a really good second. Last time I looked this up, they had a really good second half of the season, so they came on strong. And uh, we're a, you know, we're a strong team by the end of the year for sure. Um, But it was definitely a surprise they made the finals. Absolutely. And then taking the Celtics to the six games and and that triple overtime game was just incredible to watch. And the game shouldn't have even, the Celtics shouldn't have even been able to win the game ultimately in that third overtime. But uh, they called a timeout and the refs gave it to them. No, everybody's tired. But uh, with that situation, yeah. Right. To, yeah. With time expiring, um the the Celtics call a timeout and the refs they gave it to them. And they yeah. didn't have one.
2: It's it's there's actually an espionation SB espionation SB did a video on it and it was it was like a loophole in the old NBA rules where you got like the penalty you got called on you for it wasn't like a normal technical foul like it was now. You you basically just had to, the other team got to shoot, or, or yeah, the other team got to shoot free throws, but then the clock stopped like normal, and so uh, the the game was able to be extended and they were able to get the ball back after the free throws, and so that's how they got to take that last shot, even though. Unbelievable, isn't so it? So basically, if you were only down a couple points, then you it, it still made sense for you to try the free throws situation rather than just letting the clock expire. It's like a free timeout. It's like a free timeout, yeah. <laughs> I uh, no,
1: man, it's crazy it's it's uh, that was a crazy series and yeah with the with the legend of the Celtics and all that going against the suns it's it's a shock that the suns even took it as far as they did
2: we've talked about i, I have a question for you evan because we talked about sun's history a lot in the past few weeks with with no live action to talk about and uh, i think we can't let the al mccoy point go here because this is one of uh one of the signature moments of his career that really started him toward a national profile. And uh, I'm always curious to ask you questions as somebody who didn't grow up in the Valley and be right in the backyard of all this stuff. Did did you like, was Al McCoy somebody who was on your radar as like a, a guy in a different place, but at least like a name you knew or no.
0: Uh Not really. I okay. as, far as being on the Midwest, but I heard like the seven seconds or less sons, like they were when they were, peaking like everyone in the in the like u.s and especially where i was knew about them and you knew about al mccoy back then but not until around then.
2: sure sure yeah no i just it's uh, yeah the media room is cool I, I even for i don't know how fans would ever get down in there but just the way that they have everything set up it commemorates this game really well and commemorates uh al mccoy getting to call it but uh what, what are your thoughts on the game did you have a chance to watch the footage evan
0: yeah, I had the chance to watch a little bit of it. And one guy just stood out to me most, and I know it wasn't a part of like, the main portion as, as far as the shot goes in the brawl, but just how smooth the player Alvin Adams was just right away as a rookie, making his all-star appearance that year, nineteen 19-9 in 33 minutes. Just I, I know maybe I'm pulling teeth a little bit with this comparison, but I feel like just with how it was smooth and just how he was able to just get his own shot around, doesn't remind you a little bit of like a DeAndre Ayton as far as like a Suns big man who knew how to get his shot around the floor and just – it's, you know, at some point you just made it look so easy.
1: He definitely made it look easy. That's for sure. Alvin. I mean, Alvin was like one of the original guys who could do triple double, who could reach a triple double on a night. It was unbelievable. He was a great passer, obviously very effective rebounder and scorer, just natural. And like you say, everything came easy for him. Um, obviously there, are, there are differences between them that, that, you know, that, that are clear, but as far as the game coming easy from a young age, for sure there, there is that kind of comparison.
2: It's weird that just the way his career went, obviously, you know, made an impact after his playing career by um, working in the front office and, and all that stuff for such a long time now, but, and actually bridges the gap here that he, he finished his career at that summer that Chambers jumped Teams, which is a little bit interesting uh, to connect, but it's just fascinating that statistically his rookie season was his best one and he only made one all-star team. And that was that first year all the way through the rest of the seventies. And most of the eighties he played and was pretty consistent as far as being on the floor. He wasn't like a guy who lost games to injury or anything. And uh, basically just sort of turned into more of a role player as time went on. It's just not a lot of players you see where literally their rookie season is their, their best, best without injuries. But uh, let's move on to our let's last one. Let's hope there isn't
1: that comparison to DeAndre Aiden.
2: <laughs> I, he hasn't even played 82 games yet. So, yeah, let's really <laughs> let's really hope he avoids a similar fate. I mean, I'd be fine with no injuries for him as long as he stays productive. Uh, All-star games, whatever. Let's just, yeah, let's hope the injuries stop with Aiden. But let's jump into the future a little bit. Um, we're going to visit some other moments throughout the week here so if you are hoping to check in on us we'll have a a guest episode on wednesday and then we'll revisit some more franchise moments on friday maybe with another guest as well the best way to do that especially as we're all spending a lot more time around the house is to play our show on your smart speaker whether it's google or amazon tell the smart speaker to play the podcast locked on phoenix suns it'll queue up our latest episode for you and you can uh Stay in tune. If if there's any news, we will have it. If not, we'll do more stuff like this and have some fun. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Like I said, tell your smart speaker to play the podcast Locked On Phoenix Suns to catch up with everything we are doing. Back in just a second. Okay, our final... I don't know if it's the top three moments in franchise history, but we wanted to, to spread it out a little bit here. We talked about Tom Chambers. We talked about the 75-76 the team that made the finals and the shot heard around the world. We're going to bring it a little bit closer to home now. Steve Nash rejoining the Suns in 2004 on a five-year, $65 million contract. What stood out to me, Dave, going back into this one uh, and, and revisiting sort of the news at the time is I wanted to read this quote. So it's from Mark Stein when this when the contract basically came down. He said, Mavericks sources said Cuban, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, was reluctant to give Nash more than a four-year guaranteed contract because of fears that the 30-year-old couldn't physically handle playing more than 32 minutes per game. At that point, Nash was already a two-time All-Star, for those who might have forgotten, and he played 34 or more minutes per game for the next five seasons and obviously (laughs) significantly ticked that up in the playoffs and won two MVPs and, and all the rest, so... Uh, Mark Cuban has recently said it was the biggest mistake he's made as owner of the Mavericks was letting Nash go. But uh, what do you remember from that time? I know you said you kind of started to get back into the Suns by the 90s. So this was this was right in your oh, wheelhouse.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was I was a Suns fan all the way through from then on. So uh, knowing that the Suns got bad again, but the excitement of Amare Stoudemire and Sean Marion—I mean, I was—I was a fan all the way through the mid to the late '90s. You got the backcourt 2000 with mm-hmm. Jason Kidd and Anthony Hardaway, but that never really worked out because Hardaway was always injured. Then the Antonio McDice saga that somehow uh, um, dropped a deuce into Tom Gugliotta, um, and that was a huge step down for the Suns, and they kind of struggled for a few years. To regain themselves and then all of a sudden they've got um and they had a rudderless kind of no point guard team and in 2003-04 four, 0304 uh they only won 29 games and that was that was because amari uh, stoudemire and sean miriam were so good not because they had a point guard point guard that year was basically leandro barbosa because they had to trade away uh, they had to trade away uh stefan marbury um, during the season because he had problems, so but that was even I think as early as December or something. Yeah, Penny only so. played oh, 34 second. games in that one. Yeah, uh, right. And then yeah, um, so they they had a lot of problems. And all of a sudden, the summer of 2004, ownership is switching. So that rumor is going around, and nobody knew anything about uh, the new owner. We did know that Colangelo was dealing with um, cancer. I think it was prostate, and so he actually sold both franchises. He sold the Diamondbacks and the Suns during that 12 month period, I think. Um, and then now he's perfectly healthy, obviously. And maybe he wishes he hadn't sold them, but he did. So we had that turnover. Then the Suns are trying to make a splash and get better. And Steve Nash, I was like, Hey, great. It's a point guard, you know, cause all we have was Leandro back in the, the prior year and everyone loves Steve Nash. And when he played on the Suns late in the nineties, uh, before he got traded to the Mavericks and we knew he was a good player from the Mavericks and stuff like that. So um. We were all excited. We didn't know anything about the back stuff, but we did know the Cuban had chosen Eric Dampier specifically, wanted Eric Dampier over Steve Nash. He wanted a bigger team, more size. And so they signed Eric Dampier with the money they could have given Steve Nash in free agency and the rest is history for the Suns. We were all really excited, but nobody had any idea how that was actually going to play out until they just started literally beating the pants off of teams by 20 points here and 10 points there and 30 points there. And I mean, I think they started the year 31 and four, somewhere around there. I mean, there was just incredible how good they were because they were surprising the heck out of every team in the league. And every morning I'd hear on the radio, Oh, another Cinderella finish. Cause they were the, they were the, or the sun believable, I think was the big catchphrase during that time and how good they were and how exciting they were to watch. And, and that just started the whole seven seconds or less. And, but at the time it was just kind of a, Hey, the sun's have a point guard.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought up that point Davis from an entertainment standpoint, from an entertainment value, as far as that goes, because I really believe going back to seven seconds or less, you see how Steve Nash impacted that team right away, and the overall impact they had. Thirty-one and four, like I mentioned, that first thirty-five game start, but just their style of play, especially, just helped unlock everybody on that team. Just that, Dave, that has to be the most entertaining team you've walked, probably, right?
1: Oh God, yeah. Um, That you know what? So, 405 was the horses just going crazy, just uh, running up and down. Amari Stoudemire, Joe Johnson, Sean Marion, and just and, and but they had no depth. <laughs> they had to trade for Jimmy Jackson halfway through the season just to have a sixth man. Cause they had just no depth that the Barbosa still wasn't very good even that year. Um, and so it was a struggle. Uh, Steven Hunter came off the bench for them as a big man. Um, and he's still with the organization to this day, by the way, but, uh, he was basically just a throw in big man, kind of no worse than actually not even as good as Rishon Holmes was this, uh, the a couple years ago for the Suns. Um, and then Jimmy Jackson was acquired midseason just so they'd have somebody to bring off the bench during the year. Back then, we didn't know Mike uh, D'Antoni would only go seven deep anyway. So we were like, wow, this is a super shallow team. But luckily, they're all early 20s except for Nash. And they were just running. That was the horses year. And then 05-06 was the um, just outplay everybody, even though your horses are kind of gone. I mean, Kurt Thomas is real – Uh, plotting kind of guy and because he was traded for cutting Richardson and then uh, Joe Johnson was gone by then and then the drama started every year and Amari was hurt and so um, they were they were just the the little engine that could the next year but 0405 man they were blowing the doors off of people I still remember a Sports Illustrated article um, breaking down the Sun's fast break off fast breaks where Steve Nash would basically have anywhere he wanted to go. Joe Johnson going to a, running to a corner, Sean Marion floating down on, on the secondary run, Amari Stoudemire leading the charge, and Nash just orchestrating the entire way, and Quentin Richardson trailing on threes. It was just incredible how they were unstoppable in transition until they played San Antonio.
2: <laughs> no, I think one of the things that gets maybe underestimated just when you go through that 0405 team. Everybody knows it's good and obviously I think a lot of credit is given to sort of the way that it changed the league and we've all heard that time and again here but mm-hmm. it was one of the more talented rosters in recent memory too like Top I think end that for sure I think that gets sort of lost in the shuffle I know you know and we talked about this with our 0506 breakdown week was Barbosa really didn't round into form until the 0607 season when he won his right. six man award but you know, you still have, he's a a capable player. And then you have Johnson and Richardson and then Nash, Marion and, and Sotomayor all healthy. We can even
1: talk about Joe Johnson for a second. He was actually acquired a year and a half before this. Yeah. Yeah. A year and a half season and a half before the summer of Nash resigning or signing coming back on a free agent contract. And Joe was actually one of the worst starters in the league in 0304 he was um, high volume, high minutes, high usage and everything, but uh, really was um, on advanced numbers and stuff like that. One of the worst players, he's only 21 years old, wasn't very efficient at all. And there was questions about his fit, uh, but he was 21 and uh, he was almost ready for an extension. Remember um, they were trying to negotiate an extension yeah. that summer for Joe and they were fighting over the last million dollars a year, but uh, really what gets lost in this is if Joe Johnson was the 47.3 point shooter, he would have gotten that full contract, any contract extension he wanted, but he wasn't, he was bad in 0304. Uh, and yet he was just talented and he had a great, bright future and he wanted to be paid. Like he'd already reached that future. And so now I'm not defending Sarver here, but I can see why the Suns would not have wanted to break the bank for an extension for a guy who had a bad year. Then in Oh four Oh five, even though Joe was already turned off from the Suns and never wanted to come back after that year. I mean, he's he decided before the year started he wasn't going to come back because he didn't like how the negotiations went, as we find out how Sarver does things. Um, um he was awesome in 04 05 as the fourth or fifth best player on the team. Having Joe Johnson your fourth or fifth fifth best player is just amazing. And uh yeah. that's 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 how good the top end of that team was.
2: Real quick, Evan, I, we didn't talk about this a lot. Oh, five, Oh six. We talked about it a little bit because, um, this was that Oh six is the year that Colangelo ends up leaving. I think one thing that gets forgotten about this whole situation too is so Colangelo has the relationship because he drafts Nash, uh, Brian, obviously Jerry on the team at that point, And, uh, it's incredible to think that, first of all, Brian Colangelo takes over the team when he's 29, 30 years old and uh, actually, you know, eventually gets his crap together and puts together a winning team and, uh, you know, wins executive the year and all that stuff. And we all know what's gone on with him lately. I guess I want to hear from both of you, but start with Evan. How do you think Colangelo will be remembered? He's only 54. I don't know if he's getting a job anytime soon, but. It's uh, it's it's a very tangled history, but I think the highs were really high, and I think he doesn't get very much credit at all for building these teams because of the way that he ended up leaving.
0: Yeah, and you look at how it ended, especially too, Brennan. But you look at the points as far as how he built this team and leaving it the way he did. I, I think they were set at such a good spot, and unfortunately, from there, it just went kind of progressively down after the Nash era, but. I think Colangelo does deserve a little more credit and I know locally a lot of Arizona fans believe that too but you you have to wonder just as far as the exit goes is how much that stained as Colangelo's reputation with the Suns because he built that team of course just the way it ended it definitely leaves a question mark
2: yeah and then the Sixer situation on top of that now yeah. I just it seems unlikely that he's going to ultimately be remembered positively but as watching the whole thing for what he's there for almost 12 years, 11 years, Dave, what do you, what do you think is going to be sort of the, the legacy he leaves behind as we get further and further from the time he actually was here? So
1: um, it's probably, this is probably not a common take. Um, I love Jerry, the dad, Jerry figured out how to win games every single year. Um, He was basically the general manager. He put his son in the GM spot um, just to help facilitate things and make things easier but really J- jerry was the guy sure. most of the time he eventually over every year that went by he gave a little bit more and more control to brian uh but it was really jerry's the godfather of this thing you know um and brian was a dude who executed things however i do remember uh with with both jerry and brian but more brian i think and more maybe i'm attributing it wrongly but brian was a like a fantasy GM. I mean, the dude, if you look back on the Suns' team's rosters through the late 90s and early 2000s, it was a 75% turnover every year or two. I mean, it was just, he sure. was just constantly churning through players, constantly trying to get it. He tried to hit big with the Anthony Hardaway thing and the Jason Kidd pairing. He tried, then he tried to um, flip out from Jason Kidd to Stefan Marbury and a lot of. Dad, kind of like the character, didn't quite work, you know, of the players. And same thing with coaches
2: and, too. He's switching he's, coaches he every other a ton year.
1: Ton of coaches, and most every coach. I mean, this may sound a little familiar, but most every coach was a retired Suns player, uh, but had never coached before, had no coaching history. And the Suns did make the playoffs late '90s, most of the years, but um, a lot of those, some of those, were under 500 years, which hasn't been seen in the Western Conference in a long time. Uh, but those were, um, those were kind of like when the West was like now East. Okay. So if you think about the Eastern conference today, two or three teams under 500 make the playoffs every year, that's kind of how the West was in the late nineties. So to say the sun's made, you know, the playoffs every year is right. Um, uh, but they, they did it sometimes with, um, with losing records, but anyway, um, Brian was like a fantasy GM. He just rolled the dice constantly and if it worked great and if it didn't, it didn't. And he got lucky on his last son's team that it all worked right. I mean, Steve Nash was supposed to have back problems and not be able to play and get degenerative and all that stuff. He was supposed to, um, he, he totally botched the McDice thing back prior to that. He totally botched the Stefan Marbury thing. Um, and then, uh, but he won executive of the year by putting together, you know, the, the great sons team. And it worked, you know, you roll the dice enough, you're going to get, you're going to hit it. Um, so I, I think Brian Colangelo's legacy in the league is unfortunately for him going to be the Sixers debacle, which also yeah. was uh, spearheaded by his father too. And, uh, but the whole, that kind of show that uh, Brian was always a product of his dad. If you ever watched that show Succession, I think Brian is more like um, uh, uh, one. Uh, I can't remember the name of the son, but um, basically one of the, one of the wayward sons rather than the one who's, who's in calling the, shot. the shots. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's my recollection. Always going to be of Brian a little bit less than it should have been.
0: Brenda, anything else you want to cover on today's episode with Dave?
2: No, this was a fun one. Thanks for coming on Dave.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I like talking about the the history and all that. This is, this is good. I've been listening to you guys' as pods too, and you guys have done a really good job.
0: Thanks. Really appreciate that, Dave. We're going to be back with you guys on Wednesday for next episode.